So last week we did an introduction to Romans chapter 1. So we did Romans 1, 1 through 8, or 7, sorry. And this week I want to look at Romans 1, 8 through 15. And we'll see some of the themes from last week in this part because you can't, you can't separate Paul from his message because he is so um, interconnected with that. And so this week's title is Humble Apostleship. Humble Apostleship. And the first point that I want to make is in verse 8 and 9, and this is humble gratitude. So we will read, I'll read the verse 8 through 15, and then we'll, we'll start. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, but to, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so here he is again. It's Paul, typically when he's writing a letter, he starts out with an introduction. And then he typically gives a thanksgiving, which is what this section is. And then he gets into the meat of why he's writing the letter. But here he, he kind of mixes his thanksgiving for them with the purpose. One, one of the purposes are the purposes for why he wants to come to them. And so if we start in verse 8, the most important thing he says here is his gratitude. That is the first thing, his gratitude to God, not to them. And that's really important. He is thanking God for them. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He wants to convey his gratitude to them that he has shown to God. And it's not just any God, and that's the importance here. He says, my God. This is him. I feel like it's kind of like a sweet perfume. He's, he's just saying, the God who is my God, I thank continually for you. And he's, it, I, I see here kind of that intimacy with God and, and placing my in front of God. Because he could have just said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, right? He, he didn't have to put my. But he wanted him to know that this relationship with God that he has, as we'll later see, is important to his relationship with them, who is the same God, their God. Our God is the same God, that, and that's, I think, something he wants them to see. And I, I think about this uh, in Acts 27, 23. If you remember the story of the, sh the shipwreck, he's on the ship, and he's telling them, he told them at first, Paul said, we shouldn't go out. God told me we shouldn't go out. What do they do? They, just, they say, we, we can make it. They try to get out there. They get in the midst of the storm, and everybody's fearing for their life. And Paul said, I told you so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he wasn't popular at that moment. Yeah, I told you so, but, but God promised me the souls of every single person on this boat. And not only that, he says in verse 23, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I mean... If you said that to a bunch of sailors, they would be like, okay, we're going to listen. Because they, they were superstitious. But here, this man has said, an angel of my God whom I serve and worship, he was here. 
Paul had such an intimacy with the Lord that he was constantly listening to the Lord, constantly crying out to the Lord and praying. But why? Because we see later on in the story, he says, I have granted you the souls of these men. So Paul had been asking the Lord to save the men on the ship physically. Now, whether they got saved spiritually is a different story, but every single person made it to shore. So, in his gratitude, I believe Paul is, is showing his intimacy with the Lord here. And, and I think it's interesting, if you get to the second half, the reason he thanks God. The reason that he's thanking God. And he says, because... Your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So his thankfulness is not because of, you know, you've given to this church, or you, you did this, you did this project, you did whatever. It's because their faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world, which is what? It's glorifying God, His God. And so they are living in such a way that the whole world, whole Roman world, is hearing about the Christians in the city of Rome. And that's pretty compelling. Yes, it's the, sit, it's the government central of, of the Roman Empire, but the stories that are going out, Paul has traveled all over. And um, if Gideon can throw up a map here, I decided to bring this better than my drawings <laughs> so um, if you look at the map you see here that Paul has traveled a large section of the Roman Empire this is like this is where all the power is all the money all the foodstuffs you know like I said last week he, Paul wants to go to to Spain but he has traveled all these places and he's heard about the, the church in Rome. He's heard about their faith. And that means that their faith was not just words. That means that their faith brought forth actions. They couldn't have had this kind of faith proclaimed unless they were living what they said they believed. So if we say we have faith and we don't have works, as James says, we are just a resounding gong, right? We have no, we have no, um, nothing. If, if our works do not proclaim our faith, then it's not faith at all. So we see here that their faith is being proclaimed because they are so diligent to obey in faith. And I think it's interesting, too, that he's thankful for all of them. If you go back to the first part of verse 8, he says, for you all. He doesn't say, oh, the ones that I know and name them by name. He says, for you all. And shouldn't that be the attitude of believers? Shouldn't we be thankful for every believer, even the ones we don't know or the ones that their personality doesn't really mix with ours? It's like oil and water. We all have people in our lives who are believers and we can't understand why God loves them. And they feel the same way. <laughs> how, do, how does God love you? But Paul is saying, I am thankful for every one of you, not just the ones I know. And that should be our attitude as believers. We should be thankful for all those who are following the Lord. So, their lives, their faith had produced godliness. What is godliness? A life of God following, God honoring. And so God is being glorified in their lives. And it's, I think it's interesting, again, I'm going back a little bit, but he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. 
So he is pointing to the mediatorship of Christ. Our relationship to God, our God, is through Jesus Christ. Whether he was praying in the name of Jesus Christ, which we do believe, or it was just him saying, he is my God because of what Christ did on the cross. So, if we look at verse 8, we see him talking to all these people, who he, the majority of whom he's never met, talking about their faith, and not once does Paul say here, because of something I've done. And this shows humility, and, and we really see that in verse 9. And he says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. And I think this is really important here. You could really put for God is my witness together. So it's kind of like Paul has made a sandwich here and he's put um, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son in the middle. So he's saying... For God, the one whom I'm serving, remember I'm a bondservant? Remember we talked about that last week? He said, I'm a bondservant of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, the one whom I serve from my innermost being, that's what he means when he says, from my spirit. He's saying, from my innermost being, I am serving him by preaching the gospel of his son. And that God, our God, my God, is my witness. To what? So he's calling, it's like he's having a courtroom uh, here, and he's calling God as witness. And God will witness too as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Why is Paul so concerned about them knowing that he cares for them? It's possible that the church in Rome feels neglected because Paul has obviously been all over the place in Rome in light of this, is not that far. And it's possible that they've heard stories, well, Paul doesn't like you all, he doesn't want to come visit you. Who knows? You never know what, what the reasons are. But Paul wants them to know how much he loves them because they are fellow, fellow believers. And he wants them to know that God cares for them. And so he says, God is my witness and I haven't been just praying for you guys in the synagogues in front of everyone. I've been doing this in my secret prayer closet. Because God is his witness. He's not saying, oh, Timothy's my witness, or Silas is my witness, or Barnabas is my witness. He's, he's calling upon God as his witness because he's constantly in his prayer praying for the church at Rome. And what is he praying for specifically? And that's where we come to verse 10. And this, from verse 9 and 10 and 13, the first half of verse 13, I want us to see the theme of humble submission. So, first we have humble gratitude. Paul thanking God, his God, for the church in Rome. And now we have humble submission. So, as I was saying, Paul has called his God, my God, to witness, his master, his king, his Lord, to witness that he has been praying constantly for them. And he wants them to know that he has purposed to come to them multiple times, yet at this point he has been restrained. But he continues to pray that God would grant him this desire. So we can see that. So he says, I, how I unceasingly make mention of you at the end of verse 9, and he says in verse 10, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. So what do we see here? We see Paul is constantly praying for them, but not just praying for them, he wants to visit them. He wants to know them as brothers face-to-face. And unlike today, they didn't have FaceTime. 
They didn't have Skype. They didn't have uh, whatever the Facebook Messenger, I don't know what they call that. But they didn't have video chatting. And I think we could do better without it sometimes. <laughs> I enjoy it at times. But um, that face-to-face was everything in that time. That relationship was everything. And it still is. In countries that don't have the technology that we have, if you don't have a relationship with people, they will not believe you. And that's why you, you, it's hard for missionaries to go into a country for uh, even just a year and the people trust them. It takes a while. It takes time to live your life. It, just, it should be the same here in the U.S. People are not going to believe your witness if you're not living it in front of them, as uh, Bobby was talking about earlier. They're going to ask you after they've seen you live the, the faith for a while. But they're not going to ask you up front, you look strange. Well, they might if you dress, dress a certain way. But typically, they're not going to ask you for the hope within you unless they see you go through trials that should take that hope away. So, we see here that he, he says, If perhaps now, at last, by the will of God... And this is humble submission. Paul has submitted himself to the will of God. He is an apostle, but he's not saying, I'm going to go do what I want, and God's just going to bless it. No. He is following the call of God on his life. He is not rejecting it by saying, well, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. He is trusting in the will of God for his desire. He believes the desire is from God. He just doesn't know the timing. So he's constantly praying. He's kind of like the, the woman he, that just keeps knocking until somebody opens the door. You can, I'm going to keep coming back until you let me in. And it's not that God doesn't want him to go. I believe God would have shown him, Paul, it's not my will for you to go to Rome. No. God has put this desire in his heart, and Paul hasn't left it alone. He's constantly praying for them, praying for their growth, and then also praying that he can go and be with them. He realizes that that comes from the Lord, and and that God's sovereignty has prevented him from going there. And how many times in our lives do we reject God's sovereign will because we don't like the timing? I I can think of times in my life when I didn't like the answer, not now. That's, that's what Paul kept getting, not now, Paul. Wait, wait patiently on me. Because if you turn to verse 13, I want us to see this. I, I believe we need to look at this together. He is really adamant. He wants them to know, I have planned I haven't just prayed about coming to see you. I have made plans to come to you, but God has prevented me. So in verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Now, this is like advertisement. This is like extreme emphasis. I want you to know. I I don't want you. He's said this twice. It's essentially saying the same thing in different words. So he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you. Paul had thought it through. He had mapped out his course, and maybe he was going to go to Athens and Corinth and then go over um, to Rome. I, I don't know. He, he, he had made a plan to go multiple times, but God had prevented him so far. He says, and have been prevented so far. So in that first half, we see that Even though he wants to go, he has humbly submitted himself to the will of God. And I want us to see the lesson that that Paul has learned. This this lesson started, if you want to look with me, in Acts chapter 16. Because I think this is something that Oftentimes in the church, we have this 
There's a balance. I'll have to say this. There's a balance that we must maintain as believers between constantly going and never waiting on God's will and constantly sitting and never doing anything. And so I think Paul has a basis for this. So if you look back in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul, in verse 1, has come to Derby in Lystra. There he picks up Timothy, and that's, that's when uh, Timothy is, joins Paul and begins to serve with Paul and to serve Paul, and, um, and he had a good report. So from there, they're passing through cities, and when we get to verse, so the purpose that Paul has, he's gone with Silas, as well. And so Paul is going out and spreading the news of what has been decided in Jerusalem. If you remember, there was discussion over circumcision and other issues, you know, whether they should eat meat served to idols, all these different things. And they made a decision. And, and as Paul is going, he's going to churches that he has already founded. So Darby, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch of Pisidia, I don't know how to say that exactly. but So he's gone to these, these churches to give the news of what has happened and what the charge of the church in Jerusalem, the council that met. And then in verse 6, it says, They passed through Phrygia and, Gala- and Galatia region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. It's interesting. He's going on a missionary trip, and if you can see Asia, so they're they're in Asia, going to Myasia there, and they were forbidden by the Lord to preach there in the Holy by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is he's made plans to go. But he's constantly listening to the Lord. He's paying attention to what the Lord has said. Verse 7 says, And when they came to, up to Maesha, they attempted to go into Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So you can see right there on the Black Sea, they wanted to go up there, but God said, No. I've got other plans. So he had attempted, started, who knows, maybe he, he started to turn right and, and took a few steps, and the Lord said, Paul, i got somewhere else for you to go. So Paul adjusts his plans to the will of God. He doesn't just plow through and say, I'm going to do this, I don't care. He has submitted himself to the will of God. Paul doesn't... Paul doesn't say here in Acts that he understood. I'm sure in the midst of attempting to go and being redirected the second time, Lord, where are you sending me? I have no clue. But what did Paul do? He took it step by step. He didn't know where God was taking him. So then, verse six, verse 8, it says, So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas. So, as you can see from the, the top of the journey, Troas is right there at the end of that peninsula there. And so God has gotten him there. Why do you think? Why has God brought him that far? Paul probably like, I don't know why I'm here. Because if you look, uh, Gideon, if you'll show him the other map and then come back to this one. So this is where Paul went the first journey. I mean, that is a small area in comparison to where he's about to go. So Paul doesn't know people in Troas or any of those areas. So you can go back. So it's, it's important for us to see God is expanding Paul's horizons. He's expanding his expectations. And so... When he gets to Troas, in verse 9, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul, Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, this whole time, it, it's very likely that from Antioch in Pisidia to Troas, Paul was wondering, what in the world is God doing with me? Why is he bringing me all the way over here when I could be preaching in Bithynia or maybe even uh, Philadelphia, Sardis, Pergamum, Smyrna, all these places? Why, why all the way over here? But what is, what is closer to Troas than Bithynia? See up there in the corner, Macedonia. God is bringing him closer to the place where he's going to use him. God is bringing him to a place where when he's in Troas, he's like, well, it's just a boat ride across the, the GNC there. I, I guess I can do that. God is bringing him to a place where he can be used by him in Macedonia. I believe Paul would have obeyed him uh, from wherever, but God had a specific plan. God wanted... It was testing Paul, I believe, are you going to obey my will? Or are you going to try to do what you want to do? And so Paul has learned that lesson, and, and so he concluded that it was God's will to preach. So what did he do? Verse, at the end of that verse 10, he says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Somothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remain in this city some days. So also in Troas, which is interesting, Paul encounters Luke. And we know this because it, from verse 8 until verse 10, he uses the third person, they, or he or she, or it. But in verse 10, he changes it to we, first person. So, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. So God had a plan. It's so neat to me. Like God had a plan to unite Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and Luke together at Troas for his work in Macedonia. And so Luke goes with Paul, to Macedonia. So God is sending these four men to Macedonia to start churches that have never heard the gospel. And I think that is it's just amazing how God is orchestrating events. Paul didn't know his God's plan. Luke didn't know God's plan, but in the end they all ended up at Troas and all followed God's will to Macedonia. And and the churches there, Thessalonica and, and Berea and Philippi and, and Athens and Corinth. All these churches founded by Paul and, and Silas and Luke and Timothy. But if, if Paul had ignored God's will, what would he have missed out on? What a great harvest God had for him. I'm sure that God took care of Bithynia, the people he had called out of there. But Paul had a specific mission from the Lord. And so, in, that, in this case, Paul is actively seeking to obey God. He's going in the direction. He knows God's call on him. And, and if you want to look with me real quick, I think this is really important to see that in Acts chapter 9, I, I kind of talked about this a little last time, but... I want us to see specifically the call that God gave to him. So God is the Lord is talking to Ananias. God has asked Ananias to go and pray for Paul that he would receive his sight and that he would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in verse 15, Ananias has just told him, Lord, I know who Paul is, or Saul is. Saul is come here to destroy us. And this is God's response to him. He says in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings 
and the sons of Israel. And so, it's interesting the order. God has, has placed Gentiles first and kings and then the sons of Israel. But what's most interesting is most of the time you read stories in the book of Acts about Paul, he's preaching in the synagogues first, and the people of Israel, the Jews, kick him out, and then he starts preaching to the Gentiles. So God constantly is calling his own people to himself through Paul, the Jews specifically, and yet they reject him, and guess what? The Gentiles receive the benefits. And this... This is a theme in the book of Acts. It is everywhere. How God has used the rejection of the Jews, of Christ, as a means of grace to the Gentiles. So, back to Romans chapter 1. So, we see that Saul, Paul, now has made it a priority in his life to submit himself to the will of God. And we see that in, in the way he writes here. And so, in verse 11, we see why. Well, verse 11 through 13, the second half of 13. And I would, I would describe this section as humble growth. Humble growth. So, the reason he wants to see them is verse 11. He says, For I long to see you so that... If we see so that, he's referring to the reason why. It's a grounding in, in English. So that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. So Paul has, wants to impart a spiritual gift. We don't know what he means by this. The word gift here is the same, can mean um, miraculous gift, supernatural gift, healings, whatever that may be, or it could be the gifts that we see in the book 1 Corinthians, um, whether it's speaking in tongues, prophecy, uh, helps, whatever, whatever the, the different uh, things that are there. We don't know, but I don't think it's as important what gift specifically, because he says some. He doesn't say, um, you know, he does, he's not specific, and I don't think we need to worry about how specific it is. It could be both. Why? Because the purpose of the gift is right there. It says, that you may be established. He wants to part, or compart, uh, I can't, impart a gift so that they would be established, to increase their their foundation as a church. And this is not, uh, some people want to use this verse to say, as the, uh, I don't know if you know or remember the apostleship movement that started here in the U.S. and it's still going on and now is going into South and Central and South America. Um, talk about a distorted view of an apostle. I was sitting in a church, this was before Megan uh, came into my life, and I was in a church in a small, t a relatively good-sized town in Guatemala when I was learning Spanish, and this apostle from the U.S. came, and he was the most prideful person I have ever heard. I'm talking, outdoes some political figures. I'm saying, I know that sounds hard. But this man was talking about everything he had done, how he had been this and that. And it was like, the bad thing is I had to hear it in English and Spanish. So it was like, I had to hear the same message twice. I'm like, this guy is... <laughs> Anyways, all that to say, I didn't go back to that church. Um, I liked the church until he came, and then I was really concerned. But uh, all that to say, he... He actually, at the end of his sermon, he said, God does not want you to be humble as a Christian. I paraphrase his words, but that's what he, he was saying. And I, I thought, um, did you read your Bible? <laughs> it, was, it was so anti-God. And here we see with Paul that he's not trying to come to them so that he can be some great 
apostle or to say, well, this church was established by me. No, he knew the church. The church already had a reputation. They had a faithfulness to God. And he was just going, he wanted to encourage them. And that's, that's what we see in verse 12. Because he says, that is. That's kind of like us saying, um, in other words. Right? Or maybe you didn't understand me, so I want to say it this way. So he's saying, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I think this is extremely important for us to see that in the midst of imparting this spiritual gift, this is where we really see the humility of Paul. He's coming as an apostle, yet he's saying, we can encourage one another. We can grow together. That faith that you have only came from your relationship with God. The, the proclamation of your faith that we're seeing is because of your relationship with God. And man, I want to be with you. I want to be encouraged by you. I want to be encouraged by your faith because it is something that I have. We have a faith in God. And I mean, what? better fellowship than believers you hear about their faith or the trials they've gone through and seen God's faithfulness and and that is for me just so incredible here the apostle Paul is saying we can both be encouraged Paul's not rejecting his apostleship he's not rejecting the call of apostleship but he's saying we're all believers in Christ we're on level ground there's not a difference between me and you. The difference is the specific calling God puts on our lives. Each of us have a specific call from the Lord. It's, we're all called to make disciples, but how that happens is different for every single person in this room and anybody watching. It's, it's not based on, you know, some people have the, the role of leading in worship like uh, Brother Bobby does or, or preaching or or evangelism or but some people their evangelism is living their life in the front of the world doing business well being honest faithful that that is as much a witness because those people are going to say that guy is different because i know he could have cheated me on that job but he didn't he told me hey that that material i told you was going to be $1,000, it ended up being 600 and I want to change the price for you. Nobody in the world is going to do that for them, I promise you. It, that doesn't happen. But as Christians, when we live our faith in front of the world, we live out the implications of what we believe, it should encourage others. And so, Paul is humbly approaching the church at Rome. He doesn't know them. But he's heard so much about them. And, and yes, we have to be careful because Paul also, in other letters, is very stern. He's very, I am an apostle. Why? Because people were, were doubting and even rejecting his call from the Lord. And so he, he had to be harder. Or there was error slipping into the church. And he had to come down hard on it because of their souls. But up to this point in Rome, he's heard about their faith. And so what is he about to do is he's about to explain the gospel. And then he's going to explain the implications of the gospel. And that's, that's really how I see uh, the book of Romans. From chapter 1 until chapter 11, he's explaining the gospel. And then in chapter 12 and following, he explains how we apply what we know about the gospel and how that is implied by what we believe. Because doctrine necessarily precedes action. If we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, then when we're in the midst of a trial, we're going to be like, why would I do that? That's, it's, this is not paying off. This, this is not resulting how I thought it would go. But if we know the, the reason why we believe what we believe, then when we get to trials and temptations and difficulties, 
We won't be talked out of convictions that we have. So in the second part of verse 13, he also references another reason that he is coming to Rome. And he says, So that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So, Paul is preoccupied with fulfilling God's calling on his life. He, he knows what, what has been told, to Anna, that what Ananias was told by the Lord. Because God had told him specifically. He knew that God had called him specifically to the Gentiles. And so, Paul is constantly seeking ways to reach the lost with the gospel. And he wants to see fruit. And so that is another reason he's going to impart a gift, to be encouraged with them, and to obtain fruit for the Lord. Because he desires above all things to fulfill God's calling on his life. And that should be our desire. Lord, whatever it is, you know, for me, it's construction. Lord, I want to be a light in the way I do business, the way that I work, so that when the world sees me, they see you. That my words would preach to, to others, that I wouldn't be fearful of uh, reparations for, for the way that I talk about Christ and my relationship with the Lord, or the way I talk to people, that I would be a light in the midst of a dark world. Remember, Paul is a bondservant of Christ Jesus, and I, I believe he's bringing that back up here in verse 14. And I, I would keep 14 and 15 under this same heading, in a sense. Uh, and he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the fo foolish. And the King James it says, under, I'm a debtor. To them. And I don't believe he's a debtor to them specifically. He's a debtor to his master and savior who bought him at a price. He is saying, My calling, I am, I am a, a believer because Christ has called me out of the pit and he has set me in a place with one purpose, and that is to make disciples of the Gentiles. And so, if you think about it, this calling that he has on his life is extremely important to him. And so he's saying, I am a debtor to do this. This is why I want to come to Rome. That, that's what verse 15 says. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? What's in Rome? Are there many Jews in Rome? No. How do we know that? Because many of the Jews had been kicked out of Rome. And some came back. But what were a lot of people there? Greeks and barbarians. So a barbarian was anyone who was not a Greek. So that would be all Latin-speaking people in Rome, Italy, Spain. So Paul is saying... What better place to preach the gospel than a place full of people that need to hear the gospel and they fulfill the calling that God has on my life? God, I think we see here too in the midst of this, that in the calling of Paul, as a bondservant, he is a debtor to carry the gospel to all peoples without distinction. He's not picking and choosing who he speaks the gospel to. He's not saying, well, I'm going to go into the, the, where the sophists sit, the philosophers. and the... He does. In Athens, he, he preaches to the philosophers and all these religious people. But he's also in Lystra and Derby preaching to what they would call pagans. You know what pagan means? Country bumpkins. Okay, that's a, <laughs> that's a personal... Uh, 
uh, translation, but pagan actually means from the country. They were country folk. So Paul is preaching differently to each group, but it's all about the gospel. It's all about seeing men saved, and Paul didn't pick, well, I'm going to preach to these or those. And we shouldn't either. We shouldn't see someone on the street and say, well, they're, I don't know that I want them coming into my church. Or maybe, maybe it's somebody that's wealthy and you're like, mm, I don't know. If they come to my church, they're going to think I'm some whatever. And we're in the, in the industrial park. It's not a great cathedral or anything. You know, they're probably not going to want to come to this. But Paul doesn't see distinction. He's seeking to save the lost through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit has given him power to make disciples. And he's given it to us. God isn't only calling Greeks or only barbarians or only Jews. He's calling all without distinction. It doesn't matter the difference. And I heard a sermon at the beginning of this week, actually Thomas heard it as well, just talking about the understanding of the wise and the foolish. The Greeks were like, we're wise and everyone else is a fool. So, and to be a fool was a terrible thing. If you were foolish, then you, you were kind of, yeah, no one wanted to be around you. It's kind of like you're cool and not cool today. You know, if you're cool, then you're in, you're in the in group. If you're not cool, then you're the, oh, you, you wear jean jumpers and, uh, and hand-me-down jeans. <laughs> I remember that as a kid. I didn't wear jean jumpers, just so you know. <laughs> just hand me down jeans that were too short. <laughs> but God provided, so. Uh, anyways, when you became a Christian, whether you considered yourself wise or foolish, guess what happened? The world thought you were foolish. It didn't matter what, where you came from, whether you're Greek, Jew, or barbarian. At the moment you told the world, I am a Christian, typically you lost everything. The world would reject you, depending on where you lived. But in all those cases, they would say, you're a foolish person. But guess what, in time? I mean, how many of you, when you came to faith in Christ, your family and your friends were like, y'all are crazy. But what, what about today? You've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And they've seen the fruit of your life. They've seen God's faithfulness to you. And yet, and they're like, well, maybe, they, maybe there was something about what they said. That's a big part of our, our living as a Christian. I was thinking about this Paul continually talking to me, talking about himself as a slave. This humble apostleship that I, I titled the message. And, and so I, I was thinking about Luke chapter 17. I didn't know it was Luke 17 until I looked it up, but just this passage kept coming to mind. So Luke 17, verse 10. So Jesus is telling kind of a parable here. And I'll read up to it, starting in verse 6. And it says, The Lord said, If you have faith like, faith like a mustard seed, you shall say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it shall be, obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come into the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and prepare, properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all these things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. I believe Paul understood this. Paul likely heard the book of Luke told to him by Luke in their travels. 
Luke was probably telling him the stories of Jesus and the words of Jesus as they were in the boat from Troas to Macedonia or as they're walking from town to town. They had a lot of time together. I'm sure there were stories told. I'm sure Paul said, Luke, what do you know about this? What do you know about that? And so it's very likely Paul understood this. When he was called of the Lord, he was a slave. He was required by God to do this. He was only doing what he was commanded. And this humility made it to where Paul was like, So, verse 15, For my part, as a slave to Christ Jesus, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is delighting in this because he was an enemy of God. He was ready to go and take God's people, throw them into prison, and even kill them, which happened with Stephen. Yet God met him on the road. He stopped him dead in his tracks, and he transformed his life. And Paul understood that that day Saul died. And God brought him back to life through the blood of Christ. Paul is just an unworthy slave. That's why he was so humble. This should transform us. We should not approach something like we're something better. Whether it's the position that we have in our business, the position we have in the church, we all have a purpose. And so I want us to see a, a real life example of this. Well, Paul is a real life example, but a, a more recent example. And so I, I ran across this about uh, George Mueller. We've all heard the stories, and we're not all called to be George Mueller's. We're called to follow Christ. Paul wasn't called to be Luke or Peter. Paul had a specific calling from the Lord, and he sought with all his might to fulfill that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, A.T. Pearson writes a really good biography for George Mueller, and he said this, George Mueller had no monopoly of holding li on holy living and holy serving. He followed his Lord both in self-surrender to the will of God and in self-sacrifice for the welfare of men. And herein lay his secret. To one who asked him the secret of his service, he said, There was a day when I died, utterly died. And as he spoke, he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, opinions preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then I have studied to show myself approved unto God. There's a balance here. George Mueller sought to please God above all else. People thought he was crazy. People thought, how can you believe that, George? What? God's going to provide for thousands of kids through you? But what did... George was all about glorifying God. He wanted to prove to the world that God provided for His children in simple prayer. And what happened? George was used. We can be used, maybe not in the same way, but if we as Christians follow the example of Paul, follow the example of men like George Mueller, and decide, you know what, Lord? You have bought me with a price. I'm yours. I will do whatever you ask. And that may be working a nine to five at a specific job and living your faith and speaking the truth. Or it may be living on a, the other side of the world, separated from friends and family. It may be serving in our community in a specific way. We all have a specific call from the Lord, and all of us have the call to make disciples. And so 
just like the Apostle Paul, whether we are called to go to other countries, there are people who are lost that we encounter every day. And we should be humbly seeking through the power of the Spirit to save the lost and to see God's faithfulness in our lives, just as the Apostle Paul did. And to see how faithful he was because of his humility. He was humbly submitted to the Lord. And next week, we'll, we're going to see the theme, Romans 16 and 17. It's, there's so much there that we could spend weeks just on those two verses. Um, but I will try to fit it into next week. So I just pray that you all consider that our calling is to humility. And that humility doesn't mean that we become, you know, just crawl around like afraid of everything. That's not what humility is. It's, it's understanding that all we are and all we have been called to be is in Christ. And all the power and authority that we have is from Him. So we're nothing without it. And that we find our strength in Him. So keep that in mind that we can humbly submit to the will of God and, and humbly thank God for His work in others' lives and that we can humbly grow in Him. So let's pray and go from there. Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We thank You that You came and called us out of darkness. You didn't leave us where we were, but You showed Your love to us because You wanted to. It had nothing to do with us. You called us because You wanted to use us. Not because we had something that You could use, Lord, but because You wanted to mold us into Your, to your image. Father, we just pray that You would help us to surrender and submit to Your will. Or to seek to do that which we are called to do and, and to, to make plans to fulfill what we believe Your calling is, and, but constantly keep it in our mind, Lord, that we want to do Your will. And if, if we haven't been directed rightly, Lord, that we would be able to be redirected by Your Holy Spirit. We thank You, Lord. Help us to seek You humbly and to walk with You with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord is going forth, is as certain as the dawn. And He has come, He has come to us like the rain, like the spring.